Turn with me in the book of Hebrews to chapter 12. Been studying the book of Hebrews for quite some time now. And we're reaching the end. Still got a couple of months in Hebrews, but we're this morning in the next to the last, starting the next to the last chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be reading the first three verses. And so, recognizing that it is God's Word, in honor of God's Word, if you're able, I would ask you please to stand together with us as we read. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, for any of you who may be interested, I want you to know I looked online um, recently to see where they're running marathons this week. Uh, if you're not aware, let me tell you, a marathon is a certain race that is 26.2 miles in length. And so if you're interested, I want you to know there are nine, at least nine different marathons this, this week in, the, in different places in the United States. If you want to go run one of them, uh, you can go online and find it and find it. I, I don't know for sure if you would want to do it because it looked like most of them were up around Washington and Oregon and places like that. So I know that the travel to just go run 26.2 miles might be a holdback for you. Um, maybe there's something else that would keep you from wanting to run that as well. Uh, maybe you're thinking, that's a long way. Nobody with any sanity would want to run, just go out and run that distance. After all, I, I'm remembering what we read in Psalm, the, in the Proverbs, excuse me, that the wicked flee when no one pursues, right? And so I know that I don't, I, I'm not wicked, and so I don't have to run if no one's pursuing me, right? And so it just doesn't make any sense to go out and run that distance. Why would anyone want to expose themselves to such pain? Well, I can understand. You don't want to go out and run a marathon. I can understand people not wanting to do that. It, it, it makes perfect sense not wanting to do it. Still, people do it. And maybe you don't want to go out and physically run a marathon, but the author of Hebrews here is talking about a race that we are, each one as Christians, called to go and run in, to participate in, and to be a part of it. And we're going to see as we uh, hear from God's word here this morning that this is a race more uh, akin to a marathon than to a, uh, than to a sprint. It is, it is a long, enduring race. And he's calling us, each one as Christians, to be a part of that race. 
And so this morning, as we consider the author of Hebrews calling us to run the race which is set before us, I want us to consider some things that he tells us about this race here. And you have the outline in your bulletin. You see the uh, four different things that I want us to notice uh, from this uh, from this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12 about this race that we as Christians, as every Christian, is called to participate in. First thing that I want you to notice is that there are a lot of witnesses. Uh, a lot of witnesses. He, he starts off by saying, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what in the world is he talking about? Well, We've just been through Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the roll call of the faithful. And as we, as we went through Hebrews chapter 11, we saw that the, he calls us to faith. And he gives us all these examples of, of people throughout the Old Testament. He starts in Genesis and, and talks about uh, Abel and Enoch and Noah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And he talks about all of their faith and how they, they lived by faith. And God had made promises to them. And even though they didn't physically receive the promises in this life, they still continued to live a life of faith, trusting that God was going to fulfill his promises to them. He goes on from, uh, from uh, the book of Genesis, goes into Exodus, Exodus and the Exodus and he talks about Moses and all of those people. Then he goes to the book of Joshua and talks about Joshua and Rahab and it's almost like he was thinking of going through the entire Old Testament and talking about all the people in the Old Testament who lived by faith and even died in faith even though they were, they were persecuted and had all these difficulties. He says, I don't have time to tell you about all of them. I don't have enough paper and the ink would run dry to tell you of all of them, but he, he briefly mentions some. He, he mentions uh, uh, David, and he mentions Daniel, and he alludes to Isaiah, and he alludes to Jeremiah, and, and, and he says, look at all of these people who've gone before. Look at all the persecutions they went through, and yet they continue to remember that the God who had made promises to them was faithful and true, and he would bring it to pass. And so even though they were persecuted and went through all these hardships and difficulties, they remained faithful. So these are the witnesses he's talking about here, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now when you think about a witness, there's kind of two different ways you can take it. What does it mean of these witnesses? A witness uh, can be a spectator. Um, a spectator of a sport or something, and those who are uh, in the stands and, and uh, they're at the, at the, as a spectator of the sport, and they're they're spurring their team on, going "Way to go!" And so we might go to uh, Kate or, or Reagan's uh, softball games and see them out there pitching. And as they throw a pitch, we go "Way to go, Kate!" When we're up there spurring them on and, and encouraging them on, and 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 that could be one way you could take this. You could look at it and say, all of these people in the, in the Old Testament, the authors just told us about in chapter 11, they're, they're there in the stands. They're up there in heaven, and they're watching us, and they're spurring us on to continue to, to in, even in the difficult times, to, to spur us on and encourage us in our walk with Christ, even though it's so difficult. But there's another way that you can take it, and I think that maybe this is the better way that we're supposed to take it. Uh, this cloud of witnesses who are there. And a witness would be someone who gives testimony to something else that they've seen or experienced. 
it would be more akin to a lawyer calling witnesses before the court. The judge says, call your first witness, right? Do you have any other witnesses? Well, what are they doing? They're coming to give testimony to what they have seen, to what they've experienced, to what they know to be true. And I think that this is the way that the author of Hebrews is using them. He's saying these are people who've already been through it. And we can look at their lives as a testimony to us that God is faithful. And even in the difficulties of this life, we can still, even as they did, look to him who is faithful and trust that he is going to bring all of his promises to us to pass. If you uh, go to the Cowboys Stadium, I've not been there, but I've seen it on television. You go to the Cowboys Stadium, and sometimes the, the camera will pan uh, on the stadium itself, pan around, and it looks, you look up there, and there's, there's this place here, all these names. These names like Don Meredith and Roger Staubach and Danny White and Bob Lilly and Walt Garrison, and the list can go on and on. What are those names all there for? Are those guys up there watching you? Well, no, that's not the idea, is it? The idea is that these are great Great cowboy athletes who've already gone on before you. And they did such a great job uh, on this, this field to show that the cowboys were the best. And because they could do it, you players down here on the field, you look up at them and go, and they did it, I can do it too. Right? And I think that that is kind of the way that the author of Hebrews is, is looking at this here. And he's saying, you're surrounded by these guys. They're... they're Throughout the Old Testament, you can find them. Even in the midst of persecution, being sawn in two, being stoned, having to dwell in caves and all. And they remain faithful throughout their lives. This is a cloud of witnesses that has grown through the years. For us, we have more than, more than the author of Hebrews did. I mean, we can, we can add to that list for us uh, this cloud of witnesses that we can look at, and they're, they're there to bring testimony to the fact that God is faithful even in the midst of trials, and we can, we can continue to have faith and trust in him in the midst of these things. We can think of people like Peter and James and John and Paul and Timothy and Titus and after them, after scripture was, and the canon was complete, we can think of individuals like Polycarp and Clement and Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, Jonathan Edwards, George, Whit George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, B.B. Warfield, Francis Schaeffer, Robert Rayburn, R.C. Sproul, the list could go on and on and on of those who have been faithful in the midst, in the midst of, of trials and difficulties and hardships in this life, and they've continued to express their faith in Christ. And they're witnesses to us. They could do it. They did it. They're witnesses to us. They're saying, yes, it can be done. We're to consider what these great people of God Endured for the sake of the gospel, and we should be encouraged to do the same as we run the race. In, in chapter 11, verse 40, he says, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They're part of the same family. We're part of that same family. They're witnesses to us. God is faithful. We need to remember his faithfulness, even in the face of, of, of difficulties and hardships. 
running perseverance, this race that's set before us. Look at all those who've gone before. God has given to them, them to us as witnesses. Secondly, I want you to notice not only the witnesses who've gone before us, but the preparation. Uh, the preparation, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's the preparation. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. Certainly sinful things that hinder us. He mentions that specifically. But I think when he says at first, let us throw off everything that hinders us, it's not necessarily something that in and of itself is, is sinful. Maybe it's something that could be thought of as good, but it gets in the way at times. Last time I ran a marathon was the very first Disney marathon in Orlando, Florida. It was run in February, I think it was 1992. And um, it does occasionally get cool in Florida, even in Florida. And um, it, uh, on, on the day of this marathon, uh, the, uh, in the morning when we got there, the temperature was in the low 40s. And that's, that's awfully cold in Florida, right? And so I get to the, get to the uh, starting line where all these people were there. There were 8,000 runners that day. And so many of them had on sweatshirts or long sleeve T-shirts or windbreakers to start off the race. And um, I started, there, there were 8,000, as I mentioned, in the race. I started probably behind 750 or 1,000 of them. And as we got to the second and third mile, I began to see off to the side sweatshirts and long sleeve T-shirts and, and windbreakers. They had a purpose at the start of the race, but at that point they had warmed up and they were no longer purposeful. They had taken them off and thrown them aside. They would only hinder them throughout the rest of the race. And so they took them off and threw them aside. There can be good things that we have that if they hinder us in our walk with Christ, if they hinder us in the race that God has called us to, he's saying, throw it aside. John Piper puts it this way. He says, the Christian race is, run, uh, is not run well by asking what's wrong with this or that, but by asking, is it in the way of greater faith and greater love and purity and greater courage and greater humility and greater patience and greater self-control? Not is it a sin, but does it help me run or is it in the way? As a boy, I was mightily helped by having my very categories changed in the way I lived my life. I commend it to you, young people especially. Don't ask about your music, your movies, your parties, or your habits. What's wrong with it? Ask, does it help me run the race? Does it help me run for Jesus? John Brown, who was a Scottish minister over 150 years ago, uh, in his commentary on Hebrews puts it this way. He says that these things are pursuits which are not in themselves uh, sinful, nay, which may uh, be not only innocent but praiseworthy. He's saying they're good things. But he said it is our duty to love father and mother, sister and brother, but if we love them more than Christ, we are unfit for the Christian course. It is our duty to be diligent in business. But if we embark in worldly pursuits, however just and honorable, 
with an undue ardor, if we devote to them too many of our thoughts and too much of our time, we're subjecting ourselves to a load under which we shall move more, more heavily if we move at all in the spiritual race. <laughs> Hebrews goes on to tell us to throw off every sin which so, on, uh, so easily entangles us. Certainly in Hebrews, the lack of faith is a sin, not trusting in the God who is promised to us, believing that we need other things more than God. If we covet things that we do not need, well, that begins to entangle us. Anything that keeps us from running the race, he says, throw it aside. Don't hold it to you any longer. It's only going to cause you to have problems. It's only going to hurt. It's going to prevent you from running the race. He says, throw it aside. It's not necessary. So the preparations from the, from the race, don't hang on to things that are going to prevent you from running the race in the way that God has called us. Thirdly, so we see not only the witnesses that are there and preparation that he's called us to, I want us to notice the race itself. Um, he says, let us, run, uh, let us run with perseverance the race that is uh, marked out before us. Obviously, uh, a sprint um, takes some perseverance, especially as you get older, a sprint would take more perseverance, but it's not quite the same as, as the marathon. The marathon's a, a long-term race has entirely different demands on the runner. See, in the marathon, there's this thing called hitting the wall. And more often than not in a marathon, it will happen sometime between running 18 miles and 22 miles. And there's this thing called hitting the wall, where you begin to go, your body begins to scream at you, and your muscles are burning, and you're saying, why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. I think your race is really the half marathon, or maybe your race is the uh, is is the 15k or the or the 10k. Maybe you should go to those. You can just stop this, you know. And your mind's telling you these things, and you go, "Others have stopped. It's not such a disgrace to stop." And your your mind's going through this, and you're hitting a wall. That's what it's called. In the Christian life, there are things that are difficult. In fact, we're called to endure the difficulties. And so he says, run with perseverance. When you face these things, when you hit the wall in your Christian life, persevere. We are called to suffer. Listen to this. Philippians 1.29. Paul's writing, he says, It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. That is granted. As good Presbyterians, we all believe that, right? God is sovereign, and so he grants those who are his children the belief that is necessary to believe in him. But it's granted to you not only to believe in him, but what else is granted to you? Also to suffer for him. It's God's sovereign will that you become a child of his. It's also God's sovereign will that as a child of his, you are going to suffer. <laughs> Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 6, says... Uh, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, you, uh, may have to, suffer, to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 
He goes on in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Christian life, we go, I'm trying to live for the Lord, and what are you doing? Why all this suffering? Why all this pain? We're, we're hitting the wall, and we're thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to have to go through the pain. I don't want the pain that's brought about on me because of the ridicule and, and all the other hardships. People in the world are experiencing, experiencing it a lot more than we are because of their faith and their trust in Christ and their, their commitment to him and they're expressing their faith in him. They're going through incredible hardships. Temptation could always be there. I don't have to go through this. I, I, I can simply renounce my Christianity. This wall is too much. I'm going to give up the race. I'm going to convert to Islam, right? James starts off his epistle with these words in James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Christian life calls for perseverance. Christian life calls us to continue on in the face of the hardships and the trials as we run this race, and they're going to come. You're going to feel like I've hit the wall. I can't do it anymore. He says, persevere. Continue on. Don't give up. Continue on in the race that God has set before you. This is what God has planned for you. These trials and hardships you're going through, it's not a surprise to God. He is using it in your life. Hold on to the faith that you have. Persevere even to the end. Well, he gives us some more instructions, and this is the, the four, fourth point here. The instructions about running this race. How can we continue to run this race even when we've hit the wall? Well, there's, there's one main thing that I think we need to do in, in our race in the Christian life. We see it in verse 2. Let us fix our eyes. On Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on him. You know, if you're driving in Denton, just uh, for your information sort of thing, if you're driving around in Denton and you're, while you're driving your phone rings, you better not answer it. Right? There are laws against using your phone in Denton while you're driving. Don't be texting. Don't be using your phone. In fact, if, if, they, if the policeman sees you do it, they'll pull you over and give you a ticket for $2,000 while using your phone while you're driving. Don't do it. You know, that's not a, such a bad law, is it? How many times have you been behind somebody on the interstate and their, their speed's varying? They're going, you know, it's, it, speed limit's 75. They're going 50, and then they'll speed up to 85, and they'll pass you, and you've got your cruise control set, which you should do on the interstate, okay? And then the next thing you know, you're passing them, and they're going 50 again, and then they pass you, and, and you see them kind of swerving back and forth, and finally you pass them, and you look over, and they got their phone. They're, they're, they're texting somebody on it. What, what's happening? Why are they swerving? Why are they not able to keep a consistent speed? Why would you go along and find them over in the ditch somewhere? It's because they've taken their eyes off the road. They've taken their eyes off of where they're, they're concentrating on something other than what they're supposed to be concentrating on. 
The author of Hebrews says, in this race, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the one who is the author of your faith. He is the one who's perfected your faith. The idea, in a sense, is that he is our greatest witness. <laughs> he is the one who has gone before us. He's the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who brings it to its ultimate conclusion in home in the presence of the Father. Jesus said he's the good shepherd. What about the shepherd and the sheep? Sheep following that good shepherd, what are they supposed to do? They keep their eyes on him. He's the one who will take us to the green pastures. He's the one who will take us to the still waters. And yes, he's the one who will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus has been there. Jesus knows how to lead us and where to lead us. We're to keep our eyes set on him. He goes on and talks a little bit more about him as the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You remember the night before? He's out in the garden praying, Father, if there's any other way. This is not something that Jesus goes, oh boy, I get to go hang on a cross. Jesus knows that this is going to be a terrible thing. It's going to be difficult to endure. There's incredible shame on being hung on the cross. Roman citizens were not even allowed to be, if, if they had the death penalty put on them, they were not allowed to be put to death by crucifixion because of the shame of it. No Roman citizen should have to go through that shame. Jesus is going to die on the cross knowing the shame that's going to come there. Shame more so than the physical death and all those there uh, hurling abuses at him and, and, and uh, laughing at him. That's uh, difficult enough. But he's going to know the shame of having the sins of the world come upon him on the cross. In bearing the burden for my sins and your sins as the Father, for the first time in history, turns his gaze away. And so we would cry out, in shame that is there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's knowing the wrath of the Father there on the cross and the shame that is there. Shame which none of us will ever be able to know, but Jesus looked at it and he said he, he knew that, that, that the shame was there. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and yet there's joy. There's joy set before him. The joy of this suffering would accomplish and fulfill the will of the Father. And so because he was looking to fulfill the will of the Father of paying for our sins, there was joy. I can have joy even in, in this shame, in this scorn that I'm about to approach. And so, and so he looked to the cross, he scorned the shame, but through it all, the joy in the end to be ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. We're to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. We're to fix our eyes on him. 
we tend to fix our eyes so much on the blessings we want from him. Bless me, Lord. Give me this. Give me that. When he's given us himself, which is the greatest gift. We fix our eyes on him. Now this morning, as we started and I mentioned the fact that there were nine marathons, at least nine marathons throughout the United States being run today, I know that uh, probably not a single one of you was thinking, I need to find one of those because I really want to go run it. I, I can understand you don't want to endure that and it makes sense. But I hope that as we were talking about this and realizing that it really wasn't the physical marathon, uh, 26.2 miles that I was talking about, but I'm talking about the marathon, which is the, the Christian life. I'm hoping that there is 100% of you out here this morning who are thinking of that and going, I want to be a part of that. I know that it's going to cause, it's going to be some perseverance and some endurance and that I'm going to have to persevere even in the face of in incredible trials and hardships that are there. But I want to be like those who've gone before. Those who are witnesses to me, witnessing to the faithfulness of God and fulfilling his promises to me. And I want to reach the end just like they did. Still trusting that God is going to fulfill his promises to me in Christ Jesus. 100%, I hope so. I hope that everyone in here is thinking that way. And that as a result, we will be willing to throw off everything that would entangle us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and pursue a life of faithfulness, trusting him to bring to pass all that he has promised. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again this morning, as we've looked in your word, we see how the author of Hebrews gives us an imperative that we are to run the race set before us and we're to cast off everything that would entangle us from running this race and that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, help us to be that person who continues in this life faithfully uh, having 